You're listening to the RUF at Western Carolina University podcast. RUF is a campus ministry that exists to reach students for Christ and to equip them to serve Christ, His church, and His world. For more information, follow us on Instagram. We're at RUFATWCU or look us up online at www.ruf.org. Thanks for listening. Tonight we're talking about friendship, uh, what it looks like to relate to friends, um, what it means to have a friend, what friendship is, the picture the Bible gives of friendship. Um, not a rich area for Taylor Swift titles, right? Most of her songs are about like dating and breakups and anger and angst and not friendship. Uh, it's nice to have a friend, felt a little on the nose. So we're going with two is better than one, even though it's not explicitly about friendship, you know. Two is better than one. Um, our passage tonight, 1 Samuel 18, just the first four verses. Uh, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even a sword and his bow and his belt. Let's pray, and then we'll talk about what that means. Father, we thank you for your word, the truth it reveals to us about who you are, who we are, and what you've done to bring us back to yourself. Father, as we talk about friendship tonight, I pray that you would help us see the the vision the Bible has for our friendships, uh, what it takes to become friends with one another, and what that friendship looks like in practice, and how it ultimately points us to Christ and reminds us of your goodness. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, we'll talk about that passage a little bit more in a second. There's lots of unfamiliar names in there, maybe to some of you, and it just kind of expects that you know who all those people are. So we'll explain that in a minute. Um, but first, like, I really like this topic because we're just coming off of relationships that can be difficult, right, or be a little more strained, right, uh, relationship with parents. We just talked about conflict, right, that by definition is strained and difficult. Um, And while sometimes there is strain and conflict between friends, for the most part, like, friendship is one of the great joys of our life. We don't have any difficulty seeing it as a beautiful thing. I mean, you think of the books, the movies, the TV shows that you love, one of the things you probably love about it is the relationship between particular friends, right? Whether it's Jake Peralta and Charles Charles Boyle, Harry Dunn and Lloyd Christmas and Dumb and Dumber, one of the great friendships of our age. Um, Harry Potter and Ron Weasley. Um, Yeah, okay, yeah, good. Morgan liked that one. Um, Legolas and Gimli, Frodo and Sam, uh, Leslie Nope and Ann Perkins, right? Even in romantic comedies, like part of the genre is that the guy has his really good friend and the girl has her really good friend. And the movie doesn't work unless there are those friendships along with this romantic attraction, right? Like, friendship is something that we see as beautiful and that we enjoy seeing develop and play out and kind of look into. Uh, And this is because that's how we're made, right? We're made for relationships. We're made to relate to other people. We talked about this the very first week. Genesis 2, God looks at Adam, surrounded by all this beauty of the Garden of Eden, surrounded by all these animals. He says it's not good that Adam should be by himself. So God makes Eve a helper for him. But it's not just about marriage. It's about our need for relationships, right? It's not good that we would be alone. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, 
and a brother is born for adversity. Friends are there for you, right? Even when you're a jerk to them, right? A, a friend is still a friend. Even when things are difficult for you, a friend is there for you, right? Proverbs 18:24. a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Again, like we can know lots of people and have lots of acquaintances and still fall into ruin, fall into trouble. But if we have friends, they're there to build us up. Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Friends know you well, and they're able to give you good advice about your life and what you should do and who you should date and who you should marry and what you should major in and classes to take and, and things to do, and they can peer pressure you into coming into summer conference. Um, the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. In Ecclesiastes 4.12, though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken, right? Two is better than one, right? One person might be in danger, but two will be able to withstand, and three are stronger. So friendship is this really beautiful thing, this really good thing, um, but so many of you are lonely, Right? I, I know because I've talked to many of you. I know because Kate and Eva have talked to many of you. They'll, they'll agree that you're lonely. You feel like you don't have your people. You feel like you don't fit. Uh, you feel like you want deeper friendships. And the weird thing is, like, you think you're the only person. right? You think you're the only person in the room who's lonely, and I promise you, you're not. There are other people here who are lonely. Um, it's kind of part of the like, just general feeling of our age that... that we're so self-revealing on social media and in what we say, and yet we feel like nobody really knows me. Uh, we can see what everyone else is doing, and so we have this fear of missing out, right, FOMO. Uh, Mindy Kaling, who played Kelly Kapoor on The Office, um, she's a comedian and author, and one of her recent books, I think, just like nails the, the question, the fear that's in you guys' heart, is everyone hanging out without me? Right, that's, I have not read the book. I don't know what's in it. I can't recommend it. But I saw that title and was like, yes, like, that's what my students experience. Is everyone hanging out without me? Right? Am I alone? Am I lonely? Am I loved? And as I've talked to you guys, this is maybe the biggest thing you struggle with on campus. And so what I want to do tonight is talk about friendship. How does friendship start? What does it look like? And how do we get there? So how does friendship start? And to do this, uh, we're actually going to go to a book by C.S. Lewis uh, called The Four Loves. Uh, if you've not read this, I highly recommend it, especially his chapter on friendship. Uh, the first half of that chapter is maybe my favorite thing that he's ever written. And this is the guy that wrote Mere Christianity and the Chronicles of Narnia and Screwtape Letters and all these other things. His chapter on friendship is fantastic. And what he says is that friendship arises out of something that he calls companionship. Um, let me define those terms first. Companionship is what you share with everybody in this room, right? So you are companions with everyone in this room. You have this in common. You all go to RUF, right? Um, you are companions with people in your study group, uh, co-workers at your job, people that live on your hall. Those are your companions. Those are the people that you spend your time around, that you kind of rub shoulders with and bump into, uh, just the people that you see and run into on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think part of the problem is, is we think that's friendship. Uh, but Lewis says that friendship goes a lot deeper, right? He says we mistake those people for friends. But if you were to tell me, it's like, yes, I'm friends with everyone in this room. 
I would challenge you on your definition of friendship because I don't, I don't know that what the Bible gives as a picture of friendship is possible for you to have that many like friends by that definition. You can know and like that many people, right? I hope you do know and like everybody in this room. But to call yourself friends in the sense of the Bible, uh, Lewis goes on. Right? He says, friendship starts when two companions, right, when you over there and you over here, uh, realize that you share some common interest, some common love. Right? And you look at each other and you're like, you too? I thought I was the only one. That's what Lewis says. It's that, like, it's that moment of realizing that you're not alone in your love for this really weird thing that you have. Right, that's why we do icebreakers. It's so that like, as you move around the room and bump into people, you might say, like, oh, you love this thing too? Uh, we had the leadership team over for dinner at my house last night, and because I have three daughters that are barreling towards puberty, and I'm terrified of that, uh, I asked them, what can I expect? Right? Like, what did you do to your parents when you were in puberty? Uh, and of the four people that responded first, three of them ran into the woods in puberty when they were pissed off at their parents. Jessie Benton climbed trees and waited for her parents to notice that she was gone. <laughs> like, she admitted this to me last night. And Kelly, where did Kelly go? Where's Kelly? She would go, like, wander by the stream in her backyard. Um, so I said to my wife, we need to get some game cameras and set them up around our property so that when our daughters trip them, we know which tree they're hiding in. But, like, that's... That's the spark of friendship right there. It's like, you too? I thought I was the only one that ran away from my parents and hid in a tree for hours at a time. <laughs> so the thing about friendship is that, like, you've got to love something else. You've got to have something else going on in your life before friendship can happen. Right? Friendship arises as we live our life, loving the things that we love, and then we look around and see who is loving the same thing. Lewis goes on uh, to say this, and I'm going to read this because he just says it so well. This is why those people who simply want friends can never make any. Because the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friend. Right? He says lovers are face-to-face, right? If you're in love with somebody, if you're dating somebody, you just want to sit and stare into their eyes and talk about your love for one another and how beautiful they are, right? Friends don't do that. Friends, Lewis says, stand side by side and look at something else, right? He says, where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing. And I don't care about truth. I only want a friend. No friendship can arise because there would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. It's kind of like, um, imagine that you're a member of the Harry Potter Club at Western. I don't know if that exists. Maybe Morgan can start one. Um, imagine you're a member of the Harry Potter Club, and you're at your monthly meeting um, to play Quidditch and practice your spells and whatever you do at the Harry Potter Club. And somebody comes in, they're new, uh, and they introduce themselves, and you say, hey, good to meet you. Who's your favorite Harry Potter character? And they, um, like, scratch their head and, like, who's the one with the lightning bolt um, on his face and the glasses? You're like, Harry Potter. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's my favorite. Um, what, what house are you in, right? Like, I'm, I'm sure you've taken the personality test. What house 
you know, what Hogwarts house do you belong to? And they're like, Hogwarts is the school, right? And, and they, they reveal that they actually know nothing about Harry Potter. They just want to be there to meet a friend. You're not going to be friends with that person, right? You might connect with them later over something else, but, but when someone comes in purely just saying, I just want a friend, it's really hard to connect to someone because, again, friendship is aimed at something, right? Friends are people who look at one another and say, you too, I thought I was the only one. Their eyes are fixed on something else, and they head towards it together. Um, this is why I think it's possible, if you're a believer, for you to be a friend with anybody in this room who's, who's also a believer, right? Because what's the definition of a Christian? What's the definition of a believer? Someone who sees Christ as beautiful and is moving towards them. Right? And so for believers, there's even a deeper connection. Right? Maybe you connect with people over Harry Potter or hiking or knitting or ultimate frisbee or spike ball or like lifting trucks or whatever it is. But if you're also Christians, you have that and Christ that you're both moving towards. And so for believers, the potential for friendship is huge. Right? And the definition of Christian friendship is two people side by side seeking God together. That's what friendship is. It's people who see the same truth, who are in love with the same thing, and love it more because they get to love it with other people. What does that friendship look like? Well, this is where we're going to look at our passage tonight. And our passage talks about three different people uh, that I kind of need to explain really quick. Uh, You've probably heard of David, right? David is not yet the king of Israel, but he will be. This is David of David and Goliath fame. Right, the little shepherd boy with the sling who knocked Goliath between the eyes, um, gave him a lightning bolt st- scar, and killed him. Um, two other people in the story, Saul, who is the current king of Israel, and Jonathan, who's his son. And David, in secret, has been anointed as the future king of Israel. So we know at this point that David is going to be the king, even though Saul, who's not David's father, is currently king. Because back in that day... The, the next king was just the son of the previous king, right? When the king died, his son would become the new king. And so Jonathan actually is next in line to become king. But his relationship with David is so close. Their friendship is so tight that Jonathan and David have this interaction together, right? Jonathan and David become great friends. And I'll just read it again for us. As soon as Saul had finished, or as soon as David had sent, Ah. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Right? They see the same truth. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let David return to his father's house. So Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. This picture of friendship has two kind of key characteristics, vulnerability and commitment. This is what friendship is, vulnerability and commitment. This is what we see between David and Jonathan. First, vulnerability, willingness to show weakness, willingness to be known, right? This passage talks about like the core of their beings, right? Their souls are warm with affection towards one another. Their friendship is so deep. But also you you see it in in verse 4 as Jonathan gives up these symbols of his status. Remember, Jonathan is next in line to be king, right? And so his robe would have identified him as a prince. 
and his armor would have been costly and expensive and extravagant. And his sword would have been like a sword of justice, not just something he uses for battle. And basically, he gives all of that up, and he gives it to David. And he says, I know that God has ordained you to be the next king. Because you're my friend, I can't wait to see you be king. Right? And so Jonathan removes from himself all these symbols of his status and, and in vulnerability gives them to David. Right? Commitment as well. There's a willingness to prioritize someone else, a promise to set aside yourself for another. Jonathan and David make a covenant together. And that's not language that we usually use these days, but a, a covenant is a promise to another person that you're going to put them first. Right? We describe marriage as a covenant. And if you think about the marriage vows, that's what they are. It's a promise to put the other person first. And it says, regardless of the circumstances of your life, of my life, regardless of what it costs me, I will act towards you in a loving way. I will put you first, right? In sickness or in health, right? If your health and fit is a fiddle, or if you get like stricken with this illness, I will love you, right? At great expense to myself, I will love you. If we have more money than we know what to do with, or if we are dirt poor, right, for richer, for poorer, I will love you, right? I will support you. I will be on your side. That's what a covenant is, is that promise to put another person first and consider their needs before your own. That kind of commitment, right, that friendship. And we see over the course of their relationship that, that Jonathan at times risks his father's anger to protect David's life. And later on, uh, after David becomes king, in, in the book of 2 Samuel, uh, after Jonathan has died, I believe it's his nephew, maybe it's his son, um, the weirdest name in the Bible, Mephibosheth. Um, if you're going to have a kid and you need a name, Mephibosheth is out there on the table. Um, he's crippled, but he's a relative of Jonathan. And because of this covenant that they make together, David welcomes Mephibosheth into his home. Uh, it's this beautiful commitment that they have to one another. And that's the picture the Bible gives of friendship. Remember the Proverbs that we talked about, right? There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, right? Friends don't abandon one another in time of need. I'm a big fan of the Avett brothers, and I love the way they put this in one of their songs, right? I have some friends. They don't know who I am, so I wrote quotations around the word friend, right? There's no vulnerability. They don't know who I am, and so... Like it feels weird to call them a friend. But then they go on. But I have a couple who have always been there for me. Right? That's commitment. That's what friendship is. Vulnerability and commitment. How do we get there? Right? And before we talk about how we get there, I think we have to talk about what's in the way. Right? Because there's a very significant obstacle to this picture of friendship that the Bible gives us. This vulnerability and commitment. And it's the, the kind of cultural value that we have uh, of, of you being autonomous, which is just a fancy way of saying you being in charge of your own life, self-rule, right? Because if we're going to rule ourselves, then we need the, a few things have to follow from that. You have to decide what's true, right? The, the world says you get to decide what's right for you. You get to decide what's true for you. If you're going to rule yourself, you have to decide for yourself what is useful. What's a good use of your time? No person, no institution, no social construct can dictate to you how you spend your time or your money. And here's the key. You have to be unattached, right? Because freedom is found in you being able to do whatever you want to do 
when you want to do it, right? That's the world's definition of freedom, right? But if you're attached, right, if you have to depend on someone else or if other people are dependent on, on you, then it, by that definition, you're not free. And so to maintain that kind of autonomy, you can't show weakness. You can't become too attached. You can't admit incompetence. You just have the burden of figuring it all out for yourself. Right? That's what the world says is your value. Right? Self-rule, self-protection, be self-sufficient. But what does the Bible say about love? Right? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be a sacrifice for our sin. Love is self-sacrificing, not self-protecting. My guess is that many of us struggle with friendship because we've bought into this world's value of autonomy. And you can't, at the same time, be committed to self-rule and self-sacrifice. Right? They're contradictory. Right? For you to be in charge of your life, you can't show need or weakness. For you to be free with your life, you can't be shackled with the commitment of friendship. But in the Bible, we have this beautiful picture of what friendship looks like in action. We see it with David and Jonathan, but I think we see it even more clearly in Jesus. Right? He is vulnerable with us and for us. I mean, you talk about the creator. You talk about the king of the universe becoming mortal, right? taking on flesh and dying. There's nothing more vulnerable than that. Right? So physically, he becomes vulnerable, but you also see Jesus' heart. Right? He weeps over Jerusalem, and he says, I long to gather you together like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. He tells the disciples, I love you, and he calls them his friends. Right? You see his, his vulnerability and his affection. You see his vulnerability and his weakness, and you see his commitment to us. At the end of his public ministry, at the very end of, of Matthew, we've talked about this verse before, but it's the Great Commission where Jesus tells the disciples, here's your job, right? Go and make disciples. He starts off saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Why? Because I am with you to the end of the age. The author of Hebrews reminds us that the one who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. Christ is committed to you. He became vulnerable for you, and he is committed to you. In Christ, you're perfectly known and perfectly loved, right? Because we have that, that fear and vulnerability that if I share this thing about myself, right, if I, if I, if I let people into this struggle, they're all going to run away, right? Don't, don't you have that part of yourself where you think, man, if anybody knew about this, then like, there's no way I'm finding a roommate next year. There's no way I'm like finding a ride to summer conference. There's no way I'm staying on this campus if people find out about that thing. Christ knows about it, right? He knew about it, and he didn't run away. Our weaknesses and our failures, our vulnerability, doesn't drive Christ away from us. It's actually what makes him move towards us. And as we see Christ as beautiful and follow after him, we're then freed to do that for one another. Right? Because it, in your experience, isn't that true with your friends in the past? Um, Jacob, where, where did he go? Um, yeah, there you are, right in front of me. Um, you, he said like 45 minutes ago, like, I've been surprised with how nice people have been to me because he's got a bum knee that he keeps trying to walk on. But like, cat tran drivers pull over and ask him if he needs a ride. 
right? And, and people in this room have given him rides, right? His weakness, his need, his vulnerability has not driven people away, right? It's actually drawn people closer to him, right? Our struggles, our weakness, it's what give our friends opportunity to show that they love us. Um, I have uh, my best friends from college. Um, we live in the same house over the course of two years. There's seven of us total. Uh, we've got this group me thread that goes back over a decade at this point. Um, and we've gotten to walk with one another through job transition and marriage and the birth of kids and all this stuff. Uh, we get together every year for a long roommate reunion. Um, it's really, really great. But uh, one of those guys, his name is Ben, um, in the middle of last year got diagnosed with prostate cancer. And he's my age, right? Uh, and what that did was not like, not recoil from him, but even after 10 years of friendship, like we feel so much closer now because we've leaned into those relationships and we've asked Ben repeatedly, how are you doing? How can we pray for you? Like, I know we don't live in the same city, but how can we help you? Right? His need and his vulnerability has given us the opportunity to prove our love for him by being there for him, by, com- by remaining committed to him. Right? Our, our need and our vulnerability is what we want to hide, but like opening the, the door just a crack, right? Try it. Open the door just a crack and see how people respond. They will move towards you in love and help. With Christ freeing us, what does it look like to pursue that kind of vulnerability and commitment? Right? That friendship with others. What does it take to actually get to that point? Uh, two things I want to challenge you to do with your friends now that, that would strengthen those friendships or with your um, companions, right? People in this room that, that could be friends, but you don't know yet. Um, two things that it takes to build a friendship. Talk and time, right? It's that simple. Talk and time. Uh, and I'm not talking about gossip. I'm not talking about, um, man, it's crazy what's happening over in Ukraine, right? Not like talking about events. I don't mean to make light of that. It's very sad and tragic and been on my mind a lot. But talking about events doesn't build friendships, right? What excites you? What frustrates you? What are you interested in? What are you scared of? What are you nervous about? What are you hopeful for, right? That's the kind of conversation. That's the kind of talk that builds friendship. And you make space for that talk with time, right? Specifically what I call unhurried time. Because you guys spend a lot of time together. I know you do because I see you on campus spending time together. But often it's watching a movie, it's doing homework, it's playing a game. Like it's some activity that you're doing, um, sometimes on the way to doing something else. But unhurried time is time where like you're just there to be there, right? You're not with one another so that you're not doing homework by yourself. You're not with one another to do this activity You're with one another to be with one another. It could be a hike together. It could be a long walk, you know, go to the Greenway, walk around campus. It could be like you're giving somebody a ride home for spring break and you just chat in the car, right? That's unhurried time. Uh, For me, um, what it took to build those relationships with those guys in college was that every night, Sunday through Thursday, we had dinner together. Um, My night to cook was Sunday night. And so Sunday afternoon, I'd make dinner, and we'd all sit down at the table and leave our cell phones in the other room and have dinner. And we had stupid debates about who would win in a fight between a bear and a shark. And we would talk about, like, our weeks and what was going on. And we did that every single night. 
right? That unhurried time around the table where we're just here to be here is a beautiful way to build up your relationships. And if you're thinking, I don't have time for that, right? I don't have space for that. When am I supposed to to jam that into my already busy schedule? Uh, Let me challenge you. How do you use your Sabbath? How do you use your Sunday? How do you use your God-given day where he says, for our good, stop, rest, worship? What are you doing with your Sunday? It's this beautiful gift that God gives us, this, this fourth commandment where he says, I am commanding you, do nothing, right? I am commanding you to stop. We often think of God's rules or his laws as these burdens or these obligations that he puts on us. But this is a command, thou must not, right? Full stop. Like, just stop. Just rest. The world's not going to break if you take a day off, right? You're you're not going to fail if you take a day off. If you rest in me, then I will be with you. This would be a great use for your Sunday, to enjoy that kind of unhurried time with one another, Right? Make a commitment to say, okay, I'm going to try that Sunday is my day of rest. Right? I'm going to get up, worship with God's people, and then I'm just going to enjoy his creation the rest of the day. I'm just going to enjoy his people the rest of the day. We're coming up on a time of year where, like, if you had your Sunday afternoons free and unburdened by homework, wouldn't it be awesome to, like, finish church and go to lunch with people and then say, hey, let's go to East LaPorte and hang out in hammocks and just, like, chill in the 80-degree weather for hours. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Wouldn't your week go a lot better if you started from a place of rest instead of the beginning of your week being, oh, crap, I should have done all this work over the weekend? Your Sunday is a great gift for you to pursue not just worship of God, but communion with his people, to relate to them, to enjoy unhurried time with them, and to talk. Um. I'm going to wrap up with a little more C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis calls friendship the most unnecessary of relationships. Um, He says, without romantic love, none of us would have been born. Uh, Without parental affection, none of us would have survived. Uh, But we could get along just fine without friendship, right? The species would survive. There'd still be more people. Uh, But friendship, he says, points points us back to God. He says, in friendship, uh, yeah, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers, In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart, right? If you went to a different school, you probably wouldn't be friends with anybody in this room. But for a Christian, there are no chances. A master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to this who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you've not chosen one another, but I've chosen you for one another. Friendship is not a reward for our discrimination and good taste in finding one another, right? You're not friends with the people you're friends with because you're so good at finding good people, right? It's the instrument by which God reveals to one another the beauties of all the others. What what he's saying there is like, Kate gets married this Saturday, uh, and they've been trying to figure out, like, place settings at the reception. This is something that you have to do. Like, here's all these people who are coming who don't know each other. Who are we going to, like, who are they going to eat dinner with? And you have to say, these people are going to sit at this table. And these. Lewis is saying that God has done that for us with one another, 
right? He's the master of ceremonies, who's, who's put us with roommates, who's put us like in random cars on the way to fall conference, right? He's put you in classes with people and rubbed shoulders so that you might become friends with them and enjoy this great gift of God where we get to walk side by side with our friends, looking at Christ and finding him beautiful and walking towards him together. What goodness of God to give us the gift of friendship. I pray that you guys would enjoy it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gift of our friends. Uh, we thank you for the friendship of Christ, uh, who says uh, the, the master doesn't let his servants know what he's doing, but I don't call you servants, I call you friends. Uh, what a weird thing, what a surprising thing uh, for God to call us friends. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage uh, to be vulnerable with one another, uh, give us the self-control to uh, give unhurried time to one another, I pray that, Father, as we uh, begin to share our needs, begin to share our weaknesses with one another, that we would remember that we have all we need in Christ, and that that would free us to share our needs with one another, to share a little bit of our hearts and see how others respond. Father, I pray that you would surprise us by the love and commitment that we find from others around us. And as we enjoy talk together and as we enjoy time together, I pray that you would strengthen the bonds of friendship and that we might call one another on to holiness. Do this, we pray. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.